his uh, idolatry and so forth that we've been looking at here the last couple of weeks. First Kings chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. At the, that time, Abijah the son of Jeroboam fell sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise and disguise yourself, that it not be known that if that you are the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh, behold, Ahijah. So you'll see Abijah and Ahijah often in the Old Testament, so you've got to try to keep those straight. Ahijah is the prophet, Abijah is the son. You'll see the prophet there who said of me that I should be king over his people. Remember, Ahijah is the one who met um, Jeroboam early on before, while he was just a servant of Solomon and told him what was going to happen. Um, verse 3, take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him, and he will tell you what shall happen to the child. Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. And Ahijah, now Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were dim because of his age. And the Lord said to Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam is coming to inquire of you concerning her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shall you say to her. When she came, she pretended to be another woman. But Ahijah heard the sound of her feet as she came in at the door. He said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? For I am charged with unbearable news for you. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only that which was right in my eyes. But you have done evil above all you were before, who were before you and who have gone and... <laughs> And made for yourself other gods and metal images, provoking me to anger, and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam.
lied to him and he let his guard down and paid with his life <clears throat> he saw that we must obey the word regardless of what any person might say even if he claims to have heard directly from the Lord doesn't matter what in other words I think the application for us is here and we'll see this in a second message actually pretty well I think too this is what everything else is judged by and you're gonna and uh, that's what we go by we're going to see in Second Corinthians, First Corinthians, fourteen, that even if the Spirit comes upon somebody and gives him a message to say, it is it is not to be assumed that that's infallible, which I think is very important when you consider the subject as a whole. He says you're to test them by the Word of God, so that's uh, something to think of, and, and certainly in light of what we saw last week. So just because something is called Christian doesn't mean it is biblical. The Lord might send strong discipline and let the lost go free to do whatever they want, as we saw last week. But that is a blessing to us when the Lord sends discipline to us. And it is a judgment upon those when the Lord lets somebody go and and, and just uh, lifts his restraining hand off of them and lets them sin. That's a judgment upon them. And, of course, uh, we're uh, seeing that today. so, it's interesting that when things get bad, Jeroboam knows that his gods had nothing to, to, to help, no good to, way to help him, right? His, so his son is dying, and he knows who to go to. He knows who to pray to, in a sense. <clears throat> so I think it's interesting, and, but, it, but this just condemns him all the more, because even after his child dies, nothing changes. He doesn't repent. He doesn't make reforms in Israel. He doesn't get rid of the high places. So the Lord has done everything. And in that sense, the death of his child is a great grace from the Lord for Jeroboam and his wife, uh, in other words, to repent. Uh, you know, what more proof do you need, right? But the problem is, he go, he's uh, as he goes to God about this to find out, he's not going in repentance. He's going as a, uh, looking for a, uh, what's going to happen? He, he's He's curious. In a sense. And I don't, I was thinking about this uh, this morning, actually, while I was going over this. I don't know if there's any place in the Bible, and if, maybe we could, if you know, you can uh, let us know, or, or we can keep, maybe just try to think about it as we study the Bible and come up with an answer. But I don't remember any place where somebody goes to the Lord strictly to know the future where it's ever seen in a good light. 
It's not that it was always wrong or he's sinful, but but nothing is. I'm just wondering if anything ever good ever comes from it because it's not ours to know the future. And when we are curious to know the future, we're satisfying our curiosity. But what's the point? Because what we can see here with Jeroboam is it doesn't matter what the answer is. It doesn't matter what the future is. Jeroboam. Uh, is is got a duty to before the Lord as we all do, and that's what we need to be worried about. See, Jeroboam isn't going to learn what God has to say. He already knows what God has to say. He's going to satisfy his curiosity, and uh, it doesn't turn out well because it's it's a it's a useless pursuit. Whether he knows what's going to happen with his child or not, it's got nothing to do with it, what he needs to be doing, and so. <clears throat> He knows he has no right to approach him, and he goes to his wife, which again, which no surprise here. Ahijah reminds us that when we have the word of God, we have all the light we need. It's interesting to me, I think probably significant to some point, that Ahijah is blind. And yet, because he has the revelation from God, he knows everything he needs to know. He knows exactly who's coming. Uh, he's, he's told exactly what he needs to know. So, I just think that is... Uh, Certainly there for a reason. It's more than just a, he happened to be blind, right? <clears throat> so, um, so whether in life or death, we are the Lord, so we are to honor him. And uh, as I said, Jeroboam uh, is going to, to uh, ask about useless information in a sense. It's one, you know, we'd all like to know the future. You know, I mean, you know, wouldn't we? Why not? But, uh, knowing the future, we know if you stop and think about it, would uh, the future? If the future is good, it's all great. But when the future is bad, and, it's, and the future is going to be bad for all of us when it comes to health, finances, death—you know, things like these happen—it's uh, better that we don't know. And at the end of the day, the, the just shall live by faith. Uh, we don't need to know those things because we know that everything's happening according to God's will for our good. Why do we need to know? It's just for cure, idle curiosity. <clears throat> and so it seems that the last few chapters just show us the benefit of using the word and the warnings of what happens to us when we do not heed the word of God, right? And so Jeroboam also makes the mistake of looking at the weakness of God's servant and thinking that God was like that. He sends gifts. He he thinks that uh, God operates or is no stronger or wiser than uh, this this man. He, he thinks he can fool this man. He, he he tells his wife to disguise herself. Well, the problem is that you're dealing with the Lord. And uh, so <clears throat> it doesn't work. <clears throat> and uh, he's dealing with the word of God. And uh, so don't look at the messenger. Just because the messenger in this case has to not, happens to be physically blind. It's got nothing to do with the fact, or, or, or we might say fallible or gullible, because left to his own, Ahijah would not have known that it was Jeroboam's wife. But the problem is, he's not alone. God is with him, right? And so don't judge God by the messenger. Uh, you know, don't, your, your reaction to my preaching, when I'm preaching, faithfully preaching the word of God, is you've got to be able to look past my imperfections, to some degree, I, I'm a sinner, but the message, the message will always come through a sinner. Uh, what is God saying to me? That's what we got to look at. Then, 
it's a legitimate point to make that the the world should see Christians who are not hypocritical, who who are trying to do the right thing, because when we are when we sin, we do cast we disparage the word of God and the Lord Himself. And so we in a sense give an excuse to the world, even though there is no excuse, but we can't make that mistake. We know that the message will come through sinners, but it's the message that matters, not the one who delivers it. So again, we, we kind of see how uh, Jeroboam falls for that. <clears throat> and uh, so if you reject my message, and you can come up with all sorts of elaborate arguments, uh, you know, well, you know, you're, who are you? You're, you're no better than me, uh, and so forth. Um, well, you're dealing with the Lord, not me. That's that's the problem. Uh, the same goes as if, uh, whether you're a parent, whether you're a child, truth or truth, your parents might some might not always uh, do what's right, but they're your parents, right? Uh, and and they're teaching the Word of God, and they might not live it the way you know you you think they should, but uh, it's the Word of God, and that's what you need to listen to, um, because it's the God behind the Word that matters. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, interesting enough, uses this text twice. He said, and he says that there's two times where this text actually exposed somebody. Uh, one of them was uh, there was a woman whose husband had gotten saved and was starting to attend Charles Spurgeon's church, and she didn't like it. So eventually, her curiosity got the best of her, so she disguises herself and she comes in a little late to the service, and she goes up to the balcony not to be seen. And when she comes in, Charles Spurgeon is speaking, is quoting this verse, where the first thing she hears is, um, uh, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam uh, is is coming. No, wait, that's not the right. Um, Hold on here. Oh, yeah, verse 6. Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? And she she heard that, and uh, eventually I think she must have got saved because she she relates this to Haddon Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon later on. Uh, so I think you know. So Spurgeon thought that was kind of an interesting thing that the the this verse actually exposed a couple other times the very same thing. <clears throat> but probably Jeroboam's character is exposed in the same way as it was the previous chapter. He craves light, right? He's going to get light, but um, it, it's 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 light for life's emergencies, not for the rule of his life, not not that he might do right, but uh, because he's in a jam, he needs light. So he craves light in trouble, but not light for his path. And uh, this is a, a common mistake that many people make, and even Christians often uh, can fall into this trap, especially certainly weak Christians. Where uh, they 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 stress maybe the Bible and prayer when they have trouble, but that we they get ease, we grow cold and indifferent sometimes when things are going well. And so it's 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 something that sin does to us, right? <clears throat> uh, we we something similar here in John six twenty six, where Jesus answered them, saying, "Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate." your fill of the loaves and you say well isn't following Jesus for the sake of his signs kind of the same thing well I think in this particular case 
they're following Jesus for what they're getting out of Jesus. The signs, especially in the book of John, are signs of his glory. So they're not seeing his works that are signs that he's the Messiah and believing. They're following him because uh, he, that he fed their fleshly appetites, right? And so it's a very similar situation. That, back in our text in verse 9, <clears throat> we see how God looks at the idols of our lives. It says, But you have done evil above all who were before you and have gone and made for yourself other gods and metal images, provoking me to anger and have cast me behind your back. And of course, that's the that's the epitome of idolatry. We say no to the Lord. We're casting him aside for something else. Never mind that these weren't really gods at all. That that kind of makes idolatry all the worse, right? If they had some power, there'd be at least some reason to believe in them, to pray to them or whatever. But they're not even alive. They're not even cognizant. And uh, it just makes the whole thing so sad and the judgment so great. And so God doesn't view things insignificant and harmless when we give ourselves to them and uh, we don't, and it causes us not to obey the Lord. When we're not happy or satisfied or content in not having them, but having only Christ, but instead we have to have other things to be happy, it's the same thing. It's a, it's a similar thing, right? It, we haven't maybe gone into full-blown idolatry, but we're, we're, we're not finding God to, to be everything he should be. We need God plus something. And again, that's just another form of idolatry. It's something we always have to be judging in our lives and in our minds and in our affections. And so discontentment and the lack of joy and peace with God isn't just a personality flaw. It's a refusal to rest in him and to, to be satisfied with him. And, uh, again, if these passages do anything, they explain to us idolatry and, and how awful it is. <clears throat> then in verse 10, in case you're, you're thinking, I'm making too much of this, because, I mean, after all, remember that, that God is, is going to strike his son dead. And God is eventually going to carry, the whole nation is going to be carried off. I mean, much of them slaughtered and the rest of them carried off. And, and idolatry is bad. And idolatry is something that Christians can fall into. And, and, but verse 10, just again, if we stop and think about how God is looking at this. It's not that I'm making too much of this. What does verse 10 say here? Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam. And will cut off from Jeroboam every male. That's all his male descendants. His line will be cut off, right? Both bond and free in Israel. And I will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung until it is all gone. <clears throat> now, growing up uh, it, with only the KJV, uh, I remember one in you know typical junior high. Uh, someone says, "Oh, there's a bad word." Bible, you know, I mean, this is the, if you read the, the KJV, it says, I will cut off every man that pisses against the wall. And, you know, junior high, we look at that, ooh, is it? Well, what I didn't do in general, in junior high, is go back and read the context. This isn't just, you know, strong language, it's certainly that. The ESV kind of cleans it up a little bit, just says every male, 
uh, it's the same thing. No matter, again, all the confusion, gender confusion out there, only a certain people can piss against the wall, right? And the ESV cleans it up. But the point here is, if you read it, this is a verse of judgment. This isn't something to look at and, and, and chuckle. This is a verse. All these men are going to die. Um, and, and then if you think about it, 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 it's, it has a very uh, latrine, not humor, but latrine uh, uh, setting, right? It, in other words, you've got some things going on here, and the Lord's fixing to come in, and he's going to clean all the filth out. So it talks about uh, urinating against the wall. talks about dung. That this is how God sees what's going on. See, this is the point. It's not that God... Uh, he doesn't really care. He understands that we're human. Humans forget. No, no, sin is sin. Now, in Christ, of course, we know that we are in the beloved and, and God loves us. But that doesn't change how God looks at sin. He sees it as an outhouse, as a, as a bathroom, as a filthy bathroom that needs to be cleaned out. And so I think it's an interesting verse for that reason. Jeroboam's house smells. And the Lord's going to take care of it. Another point to be made here is that God is not a God of inclusivism. There are plenty of false prophets out there today teaching us that if you follow Christ, you can remain a, a Muslim, a, a Buddhist uh, in your sins. You, you can be, do whatever you want to do because Christ loves everybody equally. Well, no, that, that you either... Uh, lay down your guilt, lay down your rebellion, and you become a follower of Christ and a believer, uh, trusting in the cross of Christ for your salvation, or you're outside of Christ and you have only the judgment of God awaiting. There's only two kinds of people. Not all people. Only two kinds of people. The repentant and the non-repentant in the kingdom of God. God isn't interested in some lip service. So I I, uh, I I follow Jesus as best I can, but I also hold on to these other uh, false teachings and false religions. No. You must have all your heart. I was reading about a recent interview with a famous agnostic that went something like this. I don't. She says, I don't have a lot of respect for the view of God. And anytime anybody sets himself up to judge something about God, you already know that there's big problems coming. So she said, I don't have a lot of respect for the view of God as some authority figure who wants you to come and kneel before him every week. Well, he's your creator. There is, how can there be a higher authority figure? You know, what is going on in someone's mind that would say that? And then, I was driving behind a car this week with a bumper sticker plastered there on the back window, right in the center stage. It said, no gods, no masters. And that's all it said, but I'm thinking, well, there's only one way to take that, I would think, is that I do what I want to do, and I don't like authority. I don't like anybody telling me what to do. Well, that's just the problem. That's what That's what rebellion is. The Bible says man has no options here. You either 
bow before your maker and your only savior, or you don't, and your face is fury. And so Yahweh is uniquely precise because uh, he is unique precisely because he is intolerant of anything that would take away his glory because mankind was created for his glory. And so anytime that's not the case, of course, that we are uh, going, we are dabbling with idolatry. Uh, and you don't escape it by running to the New Testament as if uh, Yahweh is someone other than Jesus. Right? Because look over at uh, Luke chapter 14, for instance. Luke 14, let's begin reading in verse 26. Luke 14, 26, and we'll read down through verse 35. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We've talked about what that means by hatred. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? So he's saying there's a cost to, to follow him. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all will see it begin to, will begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. And what kind, what, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate, or, um, deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the others yet a great way off, he will send a delegation to ask for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So the stipulations are very clear. You will give God everything. Your entire life, or, or, or that's, it's unacceptable. So he goes on to say, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I think it's interesting that referring to those trying to serve more than one master, because he's saying, basically, I am the master. You can say, no, God's no master, but that doesn't change anything. I am the master. And judgment is coming if you don't. And it's interesting that as he's talking about that, he he refers to manure as well. You know, the Old Testament is about the one true God, that he alone is to be called God and worshiped and obeyed. And the, there are consequences if we... Uh, don't obey that, and if we don't recognize that. So this idea that, well, the, the God of the Old Testament is mean and the God of the New Testament is is nicer, uh, it just shows someone who has no idea what the Bible says and is li- is looking for excuses. If you, you read down here uh, in our text, chapter 14, uh, in the bulk of these verses uh, through verse 20, it's all. It's mostly about God's words. You know, if you read all this, it's very, it's very a little bit about the narrative of what's going on. It's a little bit about what Jeroboam says, but mostly this is all about what God says because that's the only viewpoint that matters. That's that's why this is here because God is telling us something. It doesn't matter what Jeroboam is saying in that sense. 
And uh, so these it's God's words that will direct the rest of Jeroboam's life, how his family goes, uh, and not just his family, but the whole nation. And so you, you cannot watch the course of human events and uh, without understanding and acknowledging who is behind everything. You know, we see men and women doing whatever they want to do. And if they got a little power exercising it for all it's worth and whatever they do. But it, it is, life is about God. And God is the one who's moving everything towards his glorious end. And so a Christian doesn't get enamored with, with what's going on in this world. Because he knows that at the end of the day, it's only what's done for the Lord that matters. And so this idea that uh, is, is going to be a constant refrain, we'll see it like in chapter 15, for instance, verse 26, talking about each one of these kings, including Jeroboam, it, we, it always ends like this with the northern kingdoms especially. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father and in his sin, which made Israel to sin. If you read verse 30 and verse 34, it's the same thing. At the end of their life, it doesn't matter what if they did a lot of great things for the kingdom. It doesn't matter. Either they served the Lord well or they didn't. Then at the end of the day, that's all that matters. What we do uh, today might have a great lasting effect in, 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 in the world. For generations to come, it's rare that it happens, but every once in a while it happens. But there have certainly been people who have done things that have uh, benefited mankind. Uh, and their legacy continues in that. You think maybe of someone like Thomas Edison, who, you know, all the, what, how he did it, uh, what, what his uh, inventions helped, and so forth. You can think of that kind of stuff, both good and bad. But... No matter what's written on the tombstone, when they stand before the Lord, it's not, well, did you make a benefit mankind by, you know, doing good or inventing things? No. Are you a servant of the Lord? Are you, were you a believer in Christ? Are, are your sins forgiven in Jesus Christ? That's all that matters. It doesn't mean that we don't want to do good down here when we can, but if we make it about that and not the Lord, it's, it's, it's all going to burn up. Uh, King Louis the Fourteenth of France, uh, at, at some point outlawed Protestantism, and uh, you know I don't, I'm not sure how many Huguenots, which was more or less what the Protestants of France were called at that time. I, I how many died? I think in the hundreds of thousands were probably murdered. Uh, I know they used to uh, find if they were find a meeting someplace, they would just. Uh, Block the whole place up and burn it right down on the people. You know, no matter who was in there, they all died in the flames. Right? Well, because of that, though, because of, the, of outlawing Protestantism, they say that between two hundred and five hundred thousand Protestants Huguenots left France at that time. And, and of course, what happened is that France never recovered because you basically removed all the light out of the uh, country. You know, I'm sure there was a pocket here and a pocket there that a few Christians maybe that stayed. But as a rule, you just made France a dark place. And of course, it became a very, Catholic was the only religion that was allowed for a while. Of course, as soon 
became one of the most uh, secular states uh, outside of communism. But France is one of the most secular states that there ever has been. Because you've cast out the light. There's consequences. It, it never recovered morally. But the same thing can be said for unfaithful parents, for uh, church members. We abdicate our authority and influence. If, if we abdicate that, our, the next generation pays the price. And it's uh, a fact that the world preaches to us constantly. Do what you want. Don't obligate yourself to God. Let the government uh, or daycare take care of your children. Let them raise your children. I mean, what's one of the big fights today? You've actually got teachers who say, I've got a degree. I'm more qualified to teach your child than a parent. Of course, the problem is, is that, yeah, you might be more qualified to teach facts, but you won't teach facts. You're indoctrinating our children. And that's where we have to draw on a line, you know. You pay, pay the price, there's consequences. And, and so there's consequences in Jeroboam's life. And this is this is a lesson of life. You either serve the Lord or you don't. Then in verse 19, as I mentioned, those the, those books, uh, the Chronicles there aren't the ones from what, you know, as, as I understand it, aren't the, the books of First and Second Chronicles. But it's interesting that we're, we're told about each king and what we're not told about with each king. And Jeroboam is a great example of that. I've kind of already referred to this. Um, he, everybody, all the kings were kind of judged by Jeroboam. Some were actually worse than Jeroboam, but but as a rule, you either went the way of Jeroboam or you didn't. But in, in the northern kings, uh, almost all of them went the way of Jeroboam. There really wasn't any good kings anyway. And so the writer isn't impressed with their accomplishments because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Because what we do for the Lord is what matters, and if we have the right um, motivation, and it's certainly true today. Um, we might say more practically that accomplishments don't matter, but faithfulness does. You know, we, we want to accomplish something in our life. I know as a parent, I want to I want accomplishment in raising my child, my children, to know the Lord, uh, and to raise them to be good uh, adults. And all those things, there's, if you have a business, you want to do well in it or whatever, you know, you want to have some good effect upon the world. There's nothing wrong with that. But if it, if we're not doing it because we love the Lord, then of course the Lord is not being glorified. What matters is that we worship God alone. Um, and the problem with law, the lost world is that they, don't understand what we're, what we're just said here about what matters is not your great accomplishment. What matters is that I'm serving the Lord. I was uh, someone referred to uh, the cartoon uh, Strange uh, that you know you've probably seen it, and uh, or I think that's the name. Of it. Or was it the Far Side? I think it was. I thought it was Strange. No, I think it was the Far Side. I don't think Strange is a cartoon. Right? Anyway, it was about this. This, this guy's in a, a quicksand and he's sinking and uh, the dog comes by and he says, Lassie, uh, go get help. And so it shows Lassie, um, or, or the dog, uh, running through fields in an airplane going somewhere or whatever. You know, it's the far side, so it's all kind of weird anyway, right? 
and he's running through town, and all of a sudden he stops and says, wait just a minute, my name's not Lassie. Well, what's, what's the problem there? Well, because it's a, it's a mundane, it's, it's a, it, it doesn't matter if your name's not Lassie. You're getting, uh, you're, you're focusing your attention on that, which doesn't really matter. There's a man dying, right? You know? And so, the, the problem with the lost person is that he doesn't realize that you're, you've got this, the priorities all mixed up. You're, you're worried about some, Jeroboam was worried about his position, his kingdom, his position as king. And yet, what mattered was being uh, forgotten, and of course, he paid dearly for it. So, I, again, I just think it's pretty. The, the application here are not is not difficult for us to to see here. We don't want to be distracted by the mundane and sinful, and your job, your your physical uh, well being, um, all those things. While they're not unimportant. They're mundane if they're not done, if they're done outside of our service to the Lord. They don't accomplish what they should accomplish because the Lord has given us those things so that we might serve Him, not to serve them. And, uh, so these things matter. So we'll stop there today. Any, any questions or comments? Alright, anything else? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this day and we thank you for being able to come and fellowship with your uh, believers. We pray, Lord, for those who could not be here today and we ask your sake that they would be safe and uh, would, would return soon. And we just ask that we'd have a good day where you would speak to us through your word and comfort us and instruct us and strengthen us and give us joy and hope and peace and strength in the Lord that we might uh, be useful. Uh, tools in your service this week. In Jesus' name, amen.